0: Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts as we trust in you, Jesus. And we pray that uh, today you would grow within our hearts another one of these fruit of the Spirit, and that in turn it would be manifested in and through our lives for your glory, because that's our desire, to glorify you, our Savior and King of Kings. And to this all God's people said, amen. Well, I want to ask you a question. Have any of you ever bought a car that was one of these, a lemon? If you have, then you're going to appreciate the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to focus on this morning. Many of you know that we're in a message series here at Mission Liberty Hill uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the definition for the fruit of the Spirit that we're using in this message series. If you take out your message notes from your worship folder, you will uh, see that definition on your worship folder. The fruit of the Spirit are Christ-like attitudes of the heart coming from Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit, resulting in Christ-like actions in life. And we're getting familiar with what those nine fruit of the Spirit are. Some of you are getting pretty close to being able to close your eyes and sing the chorus of that song, the fruit of the Spirit. Between now and Easter Sunday here at Mission Liberty Hill, what we're doing is we're walking with our Savior Jesus through His journey to the cross and to the empty tomb. And we're seeing how in that journey, Jesus Christ displayed each and every one of the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thus far we've seen Jesus Christ display the fruit of the Spirit called kindness in the upper room when He gave the Lord's Supper to His disciples. And then we saw how he displayed the fruit of gentleness there in that upper room when he washed his disciples' feet. Last Sunday, we followed Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane, where we saw him display the fruit of patience as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now today, we stay with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see him display that fruit of the Spirit called faithfulness. As he faced betrayal. Now, let me tell you what faithfulness means. In the New Testament, the word for faith and the word for faithfulness is the exact same word. It's the Greek word pistis. Faith and faithfulness are remarkably integrated and linked together. So, I want to offer you this definition for faithfulness. You can write it on your notes. Do that. Faithfulness is an attitude of the heart that makes a person trustworthy. By that, I mean dependable and reliable because they are trusting in the promises of God. Again, it's an attitude of the heart that makes a person trustworthy because they are trusting in the promises of God. Now, in our culture, we value trustworthiness, dependability, reliability. We're disappointed when it's not there. I mean, suppose you had a car that started two out of three times. It'd be a what? Lemon. Suppose you had a mailman that got around to delivering mail at your house just a couple of times a week. He'd be a what? Lemon. Um, uh, Imagine if you uh, had a refrigerator that uh, wouldn't work for a day every couple of weeks. That refrigerator would be a lemon. Lemon. Imagine if you had a mortgage company that said, you know, 10 out of 12 payments a year isn't bad. Well, that would be kind of nice. <laughs> but, gee we've come to expect and rely upon and look for faithfulness, and so does God. This is what God says to people who have put their faith and trust not in themselves but in Jesus Christ to be their Savior from sin and their hope for everlasting life. He says this in Revelation 2.10. Look at it on your notes. Jesus said, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Faithfulness is what God the Holy Spirit longs to work in your heart and in your life. James 4, verse 5 on your notes says this, What do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealously longs for us to be faithful? God calls us to faithfulness. And the good news that I share with you this morning is that it is possible, it's really possible for you to be faithful Because the same Holy Spirit who lived in and worked through Jesus Christ in His life and ministry upon this earth also works in your life and lives in your heart. And as He worked faithfulness through Jesus, He will work faithfulness through you. So let's pick up the story of Jesus' journey to the cross uh, and the empty tomb by looking in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 26. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. We encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to worship here at uh, Mission Liberty Hill. You'll use them uh, when you bring them. And uh, today we're going to look at the next uh, part of the Garden of Gethsemane account, the second half of that account, Matthew 26, verses 47 to 56. Follow along in your Bible, please. While he, Jesus, was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, "'Friend, do what you came for.' Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his own sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. "'Put your sword back in its place,' Jesus said to him, "'for all who draw the sword will die by the sword.' Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts, teaching, and you did not arrest me, but this has taken place that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. You want to talk about lemons in the Garden of Gethsemane, you sure have them there. Just look at the unfaithfulness that was going on around Jesus. First of all, there was the unfaithfulness of Judas. You surely see in him a lack of trustworthiness, reliability, dependability, and trust in the promises of God. And then there was the unfaithfulness of the disciples. I mean, they had good intentions. They just didn't have any follow-through. Fear got The best of them. You're in Matthew 26 in your Bible. Just move a a bit uh, toward the front of Matthew 26 and look at what verse 35 said. Verse 35 said this, but Peter declared, even if we have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same, and it took just 21 verses in a few minutes in the Garden of Gethsemane for that to change. Now look at verse 56, the last sentence. Then all his disciples deserted him and fled. Hello, fear, goodbye, faith. But before we get on Judas's case, or before we get on the disciples' case, Maybe we ought to look at our own case. How many of us have been unfaithful to God and to others? How many times has fear gotten the best of us so that we did the foolish thing instead of the faithful thing? We took the easy road instead of the right road. We stayed silent instead of spoke up for the truth. We hid our faith under a bushel basket instead of setting it up on a lampstand. It makes me appreciate the story that Dr. Howard Hendricks, professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, once said. Howard Hendricks was once approached by a student after class who said to him, Dr. Hendricks, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. So when he chose his disciples, why did he choose Judas? And Howard Hendricks said, I have an even better question for you. Why did he choose you? And why did he choose you and me, too? All of us have been lemon-like with somewhat regularity, haven't we? And yet, Jesus stays faithful. He was in the garden, and he is in our lives totally faithful. As 2 Timothy 2.13 on your note says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Jesus was faithful to his disciples. You know, when Judas came up to him and betrayed him with, of all things, a kiss, Jesus in that instant could have struck him dead. But instead, what did he call him? Look at verse 50. He called him friend. When the disciples started to try to defend Jesus and one of his followers, uh, we know from another one of the Gospels that it was Peter actually took out his sword. And, um, you know, typical Peter fashion. It's obvious that he was aiming to lop off the head of the high priest's disciples. And he missed, typical Peter, and just cut his ear off. Jesus didn't roll his eyes and say, can't you do anything right? You're out of here. Instead, Jesus tried to show his disciples that not force but faith would bring the ultimate victory. Verse 52 in your Bibles. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Jesus was faithful to his disciples, and Jesus' faithfulness didn't stop there. Jesus was also faithful to his heavenly Father. Think about it. Jesus could have called at that moment upon all the angelic heavenly armies, and he could have made a quick escape from that situation. In fact, look at what Jesus said in verse 53 in your Bible. He said, do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus could have called a halt to the whole proceedings. But he knew that if he did that, he would have been thwarting Father's purpose for His life and ministry on this earth. In fact, Jesus said in the next verse, verse 54, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus stayed faithful to His disciples and faithful to His heavenly Father. And He doesn't stop there. My friends, He stays faithful even to us when we have been lemons to him or to others. He could have abandoned us to sin. He could have sold us off to Satan. He could have left us on our own, but he didn't. Instead, he stayed faithful even to a cross so we could be cleansed and forgiven and always have another chance. He stayed faithful even to an empty tomb so we could have victory over death and eternal life and comfort and hope for daily life. And he stayed faithful even to us day in and day out when he promises us in his word that he is fully committed to give us everything we need to follow him and live this life. And he is fully committed to work in wonderful ways in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our church, in our community, and this world, if we will trust him and follow him faithfully. Jesus calls us, therefore, to be faithful. He wants you to be faithful in your life with God. In your marriage, if you're married. In your singleness, if you're single. In your work in your relationships, with your children, in the way we spend our time and our treasures, the way we persevere amid setbacks and struggles in every time, in every season, in good times, in hard times, in times of plenty, in times of want, in times of difficulty, and in times of enjoyment. In all times, we hold on to Him, trust Him, and move forward boldly confidently, courageously with Him. An attitude of the heart that makes a person trustworthy because they are trusting in the promises of God. So let me tell you how you can find this fruit of faithfulness for your own life. Four things are necessary. Write them on your notes. First of all, if you want to bear this fruit of the spirit of faithfulness in your life, repent of unfaithfulness repent of unfaithfulness where there is unfaithfulness in your life your relationship with God with other people confess it to God own up to it ask Jesus to cleanse you to purify you to put it behind you and he will be faithful absolutely faithful to do that as 1 John 1 verse 9 on your notes says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. Secondly, as you repent of unfaithfulness, recognize God's faithfulness. Recognize God's faithfulness. First Corinthians 1 verse 9 says this, God who has called you into fellowship with His Son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. I like the way the Message Bible paraphrase uh, uh, puts this verse. Look at it there. God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of His Son and our Master Jesus. He will never give up on you. (laughs) Never forget that. In the words of a hymn, I'm sure many of us have sung before, great is your faithfulness. Lord unto me. So repent of unfaithfulness, recognize God's faithfulness. And then, thirdly, if you want to see this fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness in your life, resolve to live by faith. Resolve to live by faith. Resolve to live your life in such a way that you can say what 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says. Let's read it together. Read it aloud with me. We live by faith, not by sight. Say it again. We live by faith, not by sight. And say it again. We live by faith, not by sight. Go ahead. Take some risks. Give God some opportunities to work in your home, in your church, in your marriage, in your daily life. God will show himself faithful to you. Resolve to live by faith, and from that faith, amazingly, will flow faithfulness. And then, as you repent of unfaithfulness, recognize God's faithfulness, resolve to live by faith, number four, remain in the Word. Remain, always remain in the Word. As Third John 3 and 4 says, it gives me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I want you to know something and to know it clearly. That the Holy Spirit of God works through the Word of God to create faith in God and to create faithfulness for God. That means that you need to prioritize being in the word of God in your daily life. You need to prioritize a daily devotional time where you open up the scripture and read the word of God. He will grow your faith and your faithfulness. It's important that you prioritize studying the Bible with other Christians. Because the Spirit of God will work through that mutual study of the Word of God to grow your faith and your faithfulness. It's important that you prioritize reading the Word and then responding to the Word of God, because through that, God will grow faith and faithfulness. That you hear the Word and you stand on the promises of God and make your life decisions on the basis of God's Word, God's faithfulness, God's promises to you. And from this will come faith and faithfulness, that attitude of the heart that makes a person trustworthy, reliable, dependable, because they are trusting in the promises of God. Let me close by reading to you the following true story about a man named Robert Moffat. An amazing missionary who, after serving in Africa for decades, returned to his homeland of Scotland in the year 1870 for one purpose, to raise up young men for the mission field of Africa. And let me read to you what happened to him. Robert Moffat arrived at a church one cold, wintry night and was dismayed to see only a small group had come out to hear him. Even more disconcerting was that the only people in attendance were elderly ladies. Although he was grateful for their interest, he had particularly hoped to challenge young men to go Into the mission field. He had even chosen as his text for that night, Proverbs 8, verse 4, unto you, O men, I call. While Robert Moffat was interested in seeing women go to the mission field too, he had sensed from God that he was to be there in that church that night to summon young men into the mission field. So, He stayed faithful to God and remained obedient to what he had sensed God had said for him to do. He went ahead and preached that message. That evening, he almost failed to notice one small boy in the choir loft pumping the bellows of the organ. Although no one volunteered to go into the mission field that evening, The little boy up in the loft was so deeply moved by the challenge Robert Moffat gave that as a result, he promised God that he would follow in the footsteps of this pioneer missionary, and he remained true to his vow. When he grew up, he went and ministered to the unreached tribes of Africa. His name was Dr. David Livingston, I presume. (laughs) All because Robert Moffat, by the power of the Holy Spirit, resolved to live by faith and not by sight. Yes, our faithful Savior lovingly gave himself to you. And in turn, May He strip this fruit out of the branches of your life. And may He make the branches of the remaining days of your life on this earth bear the fruit of faithfulness for Him in rich, rich measure. Not for your glory, but for His. Not for your salvation, because He's already saved you for the salvation of many, many others. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Shall we stand for closing prayer? Lord Jesus, you have been so, so faithful to us. May your great faithfulness and the power of your Holy Spirit work this fruit of faithfulness in our lives. Lord, we come to you. Jesus, we claim you afresh as our personal Savior. And today, we repent of any unfaithfulness that there may be in our lives, any area of our life where there's been unfaithfulness. Lord, we want to repent of that, turn from it. We recognize your faithfulness to forgive, and to empower us to go the better way. We resolve to live by faith, not by sight, and to remain, always to remain in your word. All that we will ever need to be faithful, you have provided. Great, great is your faithfulness. Amen. Let's sing our